0: When you start a game or when you start a company, it's important to find some niche or some area where you can be different and Mm -hmm. you can differentiate yourself. And If you go head to head, do exactly what, what the big established companies do, you have no chance.
1: Hi, I am Sophie Vaux and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders in the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best teams and company cultures in order to create the best games. Speaking to hundreds of game executives in the show, I have identified recurring patterns and mistakes that we all make in our leadership journey. Do you have to go through the same hold and make the same mistakes to learn too? You are not alone in this journey, and hopefully you can learn from a diverse range of seasoned leaders who already walk the talk. Every episode brings actionable insights and case studies that will help you improve your management skills, self-awareness and empathic communication. Becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. Are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. All right, we are here in our setup in my back garden for this new series for Horizon Play. Because uh, yeah, I wanted to have more in person your uh, interview, and I'm so pleased to have Jens in my backyard uh, in Berlin to have like a a very cozy setup and interview here. Like it's in summer, it's very silent, very green, and so we start today uh, to talk about uh, the journey of WUGA and your journey, uh, Jens, over the past ten years, and uh, also for the context, I joined WUGA in 20. 20- uh, 13, early 2014, and among all the companies I've joined is one that is still like very close to my heart on you know my own experience, com- uh, people I met there, you as well, and uh, how I grew actually in the company to be where I am today. So Rise and Play is also a bit like a result of my times <laughs> at VUGA. <laughs> yeah. So welcome today. Yes. Yeah, thank
0: you for the invite, Sophie. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very glad uh, you remember VUGA positively. and. <laughs> uh, very nice to to be here today with you
1: but before we start because um over like for me it's also i've known your story as well where you were very uh, sharing back in the days at WUGA, uh, very close to the people so i feel like i i've known you and uh, it's I, I would say it's not a given in all the companies i've been part of where i could say i have known the uh, you know, co-founder or the ceo closely so i'll give a bit of like few key facts of who you are, Jens, as an introduction, <laughs> and uh, we can go more uh, into that as we talk, but uh, for the people who don't know uh, Jens, Wingman uh, uh, he's the uh, founder of Wuga and uh, few key facts as well, like uh, before you uh, founded Wuga in um, 2008 and early 2009, uh, you uh, grew up uh, in a farm on, in Germany, so coming yeah. as well like from Germany, the countryside, and. The interesting fact uh, fact as well, I remember you were sharing is that uh, because you were kind of more like countryside, farm, you were very interested in tech, you know, in computer and uh, trying to play and have fun with the games you had at the time, which were not so many available. And you started at 10-year-old to teach yourself how to code and make the games that you wanted to play, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was
0: 1987. Uh, I was 10, and I really wanted a games computer, like a Commodore C64. Mm -hmm. Some of her friends had one, and some of the rich kids even had an Amiga, and I wanted one of these. And uh, my parents said, no, 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 no games computer. This is not good for you. So I got a very old Apple II, which back in the day, I think it was already like a 10-year-old machine, Mm -hmm. uh, not very capable, and very few games available for this, just 48 kilobytes of memory and um, just dark green on light green screen um, and uh, yeah so i teach myself how to code in basic and wrote some extremely simple games so i had something to play
1: and uh, later as well you studied uh, business administration in berlin uh had internships in large corporation, which was not what was uger <laughs> uh, like siemens and um, i think the first professional experience that uh, later led to uh, the foundation of uger was uh, when you were 24 and uh, it was 2001 at the time and joined a startup called Jamba. I remember seeing Jamba ads actually on on TV (laughs) and in the US and UK it's called Jamster. Um, Yeah, some
0: of you may remember the crazy frog.
1: Yeah, yes, 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 exactly.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry for that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's an interesting one because you were 24 and you, you already had a vision very clear that you wanted to learn about startup to build your own startup. How did that realization come, or like that motivation?
0: So I was I was always into entrepreneurship. So as mm. I said, as a teenager, I was coding. We, with some fellow co-founders, um, we had the ambition when we were 16, 17, hey, we can write and create our own games. So we came together, I was doing the coding, somebody else was doing the graphics, and we had the mm. ambition to create our own PC game, uh, which was way too ambitious back then. <laughs> then when I was 18, um, I, I got a license to basically have a small business on the side to mm-hmm. school to sell computers and do some network installation. And when um, the year 2000 came uh, at the end of university, we, we talked to a professor and said, hey, you know, we have this course with you, but could we maybe skip the course and instead write a book? So our <laughs> idea is, hey, our group of 40 students, we will write and publish and print a book in the next 12 weeks. And we will have a big day uh, where we present all of the findings and it will be about our life in 20 years. So Vision 2020, that was the goal. Mm -hmm. And um, so we we basically, from an entrepreneurship style, kind of started uh, this group of students and um, wrote the book, published it, had a big day of presenting it. And um, so kind of this entrepreneurship drive I always had in me and um, then late 2000, early 2001, I had the idea, okay, I start my own company.
1: <laughs> Already. <laughs>
0: but um, by the year 2001, the dot-com bubble had burst. Yeah. So um, it was basically almost impossible to get money. Mm. I had no idea what company really I wanted to start. Yeah. I had no co-founder and I had no idea how a startup works. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so basically I knew
0: nothing. Yeah. And I thought, okay, to, have my, to fulfill my dream of starting a company, starting a startup, Um, I first need to learn how it works. Mm. So I I ran around Berlin and tried to find
1: (laughs) a young startup (laughs) that would
0: would take me on uh, as a young fellow.
1: And that's very wise because a few things you mentioned uh, that are actually quite, I would say, solid foundation to start a company. I'm not saying that you should have all the knowledge because you don't know what you're building until you're building it. Uh, But having a network, uh, if you are looking for co-founders, for sure, having a clarity and vision of (laughs) why you want to build a company and what you want to do. Um, So uh, coming to the conclusion of learning, and then you learn for seven years, although you intended to learn for a few years and uh, build your company. My goal was
0: two to three, and then Jamba grew so quickly and changed so much, and I stayed for seven.
1: Yeah, I I guess it was uh, then that fun that you stayed that long as well.
0: Um, It was, I, I mean, uh, the company shifted multiple times, mm-hmm. it was sold, I got more responsibility mm-hmm. and in the end because always something was changing I felt okay I'm, I'm not done learning yet yeah. and um, I, I could not fully identify with the trajectory the company was taking, mostly focused on ringtones but I had already responsibility for games, mobile games back then. We had a mm-hmm. small game studio at, at Jamba um, mm-hmm. so I always was learning. Um, so I stayed, but in 2007-2008 uh, I felt okay, maybe maybe it's it's over now, it's enough mm. and I resigned after seven years.
1: Okay. What was the point where you decided, okay, I go all in, um, I resign, I start a company, I don't know if at the time you talk to people that could be your co-founders, how did you make that transition?
0: Yes, yeah, so I had a six-month notice period.
1: Oh, oh wow, this <laughs> yeah, is a <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. uh, German uh, so
1: employment. <laughs>
0: So yeah, I was at Jamba, I had a team of I think 120 people and Jamba at the time was like 500, 600 mm-hmm. people and my team was 120 and um, I had a six months notice period and I came to the realization, okay, I want to start my own company mm-hmm. now. So I resigned in February of 2008 and I knew I had kind of six months um, and I, during that time I was more, I got married and was more focused <laughs> on my private life and then after six months I was free. and. Only at that point I started thinking about what I really wanted to do. So from my savings I knew I could probably last probably one to two years without a salary. That's, that's
1: good, without it? a
0: salary. And I had some money to invest to to kind of fund the first few months of a company. And I talked to a lot of people. I traveled to Silicon Valley. I remember I was in um, Los Angeles actually sleeping with a, with a sleeping mattress on the floor at <laughs> a friend uh, when he turned on CNN. Oh, Lehman Brothers collapsed. That was the Monday in, in <laughs> oh, September yeah. back then. So uh, And then the week thereafter, there was this news of, oh, no more funding for startups and mm. the startup world is going down. So I traveled around, met lots of people, talked to lots of people to realize for myself, okay, after now seven years, what do I want? Mm. Uh, what do I want to do? What kind of company do I want to create? And um, it, it became clear to me quite quickly, OK, I want to do something. It was not clear it was games. So my my idea was, OK, I want to do something consumer focused, direct to consumer, probably around entertainment, uh, mm-hmm. because that's what I know and what, what my passion is. And then after some time, I realized, well, actually, actually, it's games, right? Mm-hmm. It's I'm, I'm 31 now, back at the day, back at the time I started coding games when I was 10, I had loved computer games all my life, um, that's what I want to do. And um, then I, I met uh, through a friend, I met one of my co-founders, Patrick, and then mm-hmm. had a later, a few months later, actually a call with somebody I met at Jamba, Philip. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah. that's how us three got together. And the idea for us back then was, okay, can we make games more, mass market, to expo- mm-hmm. make them more broad. Because the games industry back then was already huge, but the vast majority of players was was gamers. Yeah, um,
2: like more, PC.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. PC and console, more men than women, typically younger, Mm. so the stereotypical gamer was was a male teenager, (laughs) right? And I thought, okay, well, in terms of revenue, the games industry is huge, but in Mm -hmm. terms of audience it's relatively small, right? And uh, I believe uh, the desire to play is in us, we have it as kids and as adults, society trains us to lose it, but it's still in us as adults. And, um, okay, why, why is everybody listening to music every day? Everybody is watching some form of video or TV every day. I think everybody should play every day. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was the idea. And that was the vision uh, for Booga. Everybody plays every day. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's how we started and basically met end of 2008 and then formally incorporated in January of 2009.
1: Oh. Then let's uh, start uh, as you started uh, Wuga uh, 20, uh, two, sorry, 2008 uh, 9 and started with, uh, well, I don't know if it was Facebook games or uh, uh, social network games. Could you give more of a context at the time how you started to jump on it and one of the games that was um, like the first success uh, of a company, Brain Buddies, in 2009? Uh, with a viral growth of six million MAU, oh my god, I think many people would dream for those numbers today, <laughs> and with no marketing budget, um, it's impossible today. Like, when I was uh, like writing this down, I was like, This is quite different today, <laughs> um, but,
0: but no revenue, zero <laughs> revenue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how how did you start? Where you said like the funding wasn't there, you had but your savings, uh, who developed the game, and um. Yeah, did you bootstrap at the time? Yeah,
0: well, we as co-founders, we put our savings into the Mm. company. So we said, okay, we can live without a salary for probably a year and we had about um, 150,000 euros, which was quite a bit of money from mm. our savings from everybody.
2: Mm.
0: Kind of, we were not 20 at the time, we, yeah, we, yeah. we had savings and and nobody owned any apartment or building <laughs> or anything. We were just renting and nobody had a car. So um, we, we had 150,000 euros and no salary for a year, which is quite a bit. I would say in terms of purchasing power, Berlin was much cheaper back then. So that's mm. equivalent to like having 300,000 euros yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was was quite a bit. And well, our goal, we we looked at the landscape and uh, initially we wanted to create just a a game on our own website. But then we realized, okay, social networks are actually growing much faster and that's the better platform Mm -hmm. to be on. But we realized our competition is one and a half to two years ahead. Yeah. Zynga was already out uh, one and a half, almost two years. Played and Playfish was yes. there. Right. So we said, okay, on, on Facebook, we have no chance. But there are all of these local social networks. So um, Facebook has won the US, but in all of these other countries, somebody else is number one. Yeah. Orkut was the leader in Brazil. And right. Schulte yeah. was the leader yeah. in Germany. And every, every country had their leading social network. And it was not clear that Facebook would win. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, we we build our game and we go to all of these other social networks. But as we were building Brain Buddies and we were progressing, uh, we did some work internally and we worked with a Polish uh, studio called Fabrica Gear, which did a large part of the work. So we did the design, they did most of the coding and Mm -hmm. and graphics and sound. we were progressing and uh, these APIs of these other social networks were not progressing
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and oh. there was no platform to launch on. StudiVZ was not ready, Orkut was not ready, nobody was ready and therefore we said okay well yeah we, we don't want to wait. We, we put it out on Facebook on July 1st 2009 and we see how it goes there and then we, we use all of those learnings to bring it mm-hmm. to these other social networks and um, I think one gross advantage for us was most of these other games were only available in English and we launched in eight languages uh, Uh right from day one and we had um eight country managers which were summer interns so we (laughs) (laughs) we had a a lady from Turkey a young student in her early 20s we had a guy from France, etc., right? And um, we gave each of these 20, 21-year-old people 1,000 euros. So we had a marketing budget. It was 1,000 euros per language and said, okay, with these 1,000 euros, do as much as you can. <laughs> and um, yeah, we had a 20-year-old intern, country, head of, head of uh, country management Italy, hey, right? Well. That was the title. <laughs> and they were there for three months. And um, the Brain Buddies was designed around virality. Back then, uh, you could get free viral growth on mm. Facebook. Uh, Facebook was not yet a public company, and they didn't need to make huge amounts of money and profit, yeah. so they gave out virality quite freely. And yeah, within four months, we had six million monthly active users and we had days with over 100,000 installs and um, all free viral, <laughs> viral growth, but no revenue, but, but yeah. it was a lot of fun and strong growth. And this momentum um, allowed us to talk to venture capital investors and gave us the funding that then allowed us to build the next few games for the next two years.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's inspiring to hear again about those days because we hear a lot how difficult the times are where again, funding are not available like this, and uh, companies are like, oh my God, I can't start without any funding. But uh, you know, 10 years ago where there was even less, I would say resources available and the tools we have, uh, it's a good reminder that uh, there are other ways actually bootstrapping your business where, and it constraints, like, like you said at the beginning, it forces you to focus what is it like you really need to do yeah. to get to the next
0: stage uh, and I, I think when you when you when you start a game or when you start a company um, and you have very few resources, much fewer resources than anybody else, it's important to find some niche or some some area where you are you can be different and mm. you can differentiate yourself and back then on Facebook, it was this time where you could get viral growth with a game like mm. Brain buddies and Six months later, it would not have been possible. Actually, three months later, it would not have been possible. So, yeah, so there was timing a minute, is extremely right? important. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually don't know what the market niche is today. But if you as an entrepreneur find it, you yeah. can you can get strong growth. If you go head to head, yeah. do exactly what, what the big established companies do, you have no chance.
1: Yes, exactly. And uh, I'm curious here because, again, I reflect on, on those times where these days when companies receive funding, I've seen Different example where you scale very quickly, you p- push every, or you instead of focusing on growing your existing assets, yeah. you go jump on the new ones. How did you spend that money at the beginning when suddenly you had money? Yeah. Um, so how did you I think it?
0: back in 2009, we spent the money wisely. Then later, around 2014, 2015, I'm sure we will come to that later, mm-hmm. when we had even more money, we spent it very unwisely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 2009, um, we we continued we well, Brain Buddies. Um, so we got the money in the bank. I think October twenty second, and Brain Buddies had an all time peak on November first. So just a week later, mm-hmm. uh, because Facebook changed its algorithms and oh. our user numbers dropped. To half within two months Mm. so our first board meeting was not nice (laughs) but we had the money in the bank right (laughs) but our first board meeting was okay brain buddies numbers are are cut in half Um, your game number two bubble island is delayed your game number three monster world is delayed Um, it was uh, Mm -hmm. yeah not good not nice but how did we spend the funds so we we tried to basically prevent Brain Buddies from collapsing with a, a few employees working, mm-hmm. working on that. And we hired relatively quickly. I think at the end of year one, we were about 15 employees and 15 interns. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of year two, we were about maybe 40 to 45 employees and maybe 20 interns. So relatively quick growth in, in terms of headcount basically 30 headcount at the end of year one and, and 60 at the end of year two. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we did is, after Brain Buddies, we started development of two games and then quite quickly thereafter game three. So we had Bubble Island, uh, Monster World and a game called Happy Hospital um, by Sebastian Nussbaum, mm-hmm. um, which not, did not become a, a success. Um, later his games became huge successes, but this yeah. one was not a success. Um, and we we stayed focused on Facebook, but we said, OK, we, we want to also have in-app purchases for the very first time. We want to have mm-hmm. some monetization and um, OK, how can we make game number two, game number three? Mm-hmm.
1: And as you started to scale the company, uh, because that's, uh, that question comes often as well in among the priorities of uh, founders as they scale, uh, did you spend some time in like um, uh, reflecting on how we, you wanted to scale your team, your uh, hires, your company culture, even structure ways of working, uh, or you just hired at the time, focusing on the game launch?
0: Yes, yeah, so I, I had um, very, very clear ideas on the importance of company culture and certain aspects of company culture mm. and how we wanted to to run things at VUCA. And those came from this belief that as a young company, basically, one of the very few differentiators you have is who do you hire and how well do these people work together, right? Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. you don't have a brand, you don't have intellectual property, you don't have patents, you don't have factories, machines, huge customer base, you don't have have nothing of these. So uh, who you hire and how they work together is probably your most important asset. And in terms of company culture, I I had learned some things at the corporate at Siemens because I had spent a few years there, even Mm -hmm. though just as an intern, but but few years there then seven years at Jamba and uh, in my mind I had basically thought of okay what are the things I want to do exactly the same and what are the things that I want to do the exact opposite
2: <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> and um, I wanted to create an environment where everybody was um, kind of taken seriously no matter how junior you are where everybody was well respected where um, there is an open culture of communication where every learning is shared without kind of personal,
2: yeah.
0: um, personal uh, kind of accusations. Right. Uh, instead of saying, "Hey, you did this wrong," in <laughs> Brain Buddies, it's more of, "Okay, based on the numbers, this doesn't seem to work so well. What about this idea?" To have yeah. an open discussion where everybody can contribute ideas—that was at least the goal. Um, and one goal was also, as we were growing quickly to ensure we have really good onboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a plan for your first week, what will you do, who will you talk to, who's maybe your buddy, who helps mm-hmm. you familiarize yourself with the culture. Uh, we had to start a starter checklist already pretty early on. Eh? Mm-hmm. This is what you should do on your first five days. Um, onboarding sessions, uh, we did that basically from day one where once a month I sat down with every employee and gave them an hour of the history of VUGA, why are we here, what are we doing, what is important, and later we expanded that to, I think, five, six, seven onboarding sessions, right, with the head of engineering, head of marketing, et cetera. um, So that even if you work in marketing, you'd learn some of the basics of engineering and the other way around, Mm. and not just those two, but just as examples. yeah, so those were aspects that were important to us from day one. And one aspect was also we didn't want to be a German startup. We wanted to be an international startup based in Berlin. So we did English as our company language from day one, which is normal now, but in 2009 it was unusual. Um, yeah, some, those were some of the thoughts we, we put into mm-hmm. basically the company culture early on.
1: Before we uh, managed to talk about it now, there were a lot of intentions, and I can tell you, like, I joined in 2014, early 2014, and those have actually translated quite well in what you just described. I think, like, the choice of language, for example, to be very intentional, and it's not easy where you have a whole team in German and suddenly say, we have to speak English. I, I know that even among French, it was strange to each other to speak English, but it's a commitment where there was also a vision, if we want to be a, a global international company, we have to behave international. Yeah. and. Um, I think like also the thinking around what are our assets as a company when we don't have any like hardware or properties, it's the people and uh, focusing really on being deliberate on our ways of working and who we are hiring. This is something that it makes a lot of sense after, for me having experienced the culture at Wooga. And I wanted also like to reflect back on like, as a feedback as well, on how I experienced the culture. I was coming from Gameloft before I joined, I remember we had conversation and openness and respect to each other and that open communication culture, it was unusual uh, in games at the time, especially I was coming from a company where it was a hierarchical structure, their status, uh, and you don't get to talk to everyone the same way. uh, And there are different values of people based on your title, your experience. And so for me, it was very refreshing actually to join a company structure that was so lean based on uh, you know your output, your contribution, instead of like who yeah. you are, how you look. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and you c- you can't completely eliminate hierarchy and power mm-hmm. and 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 structure and and, and thi- things like this. And you shouldn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, at least that was our goal. Yeah. yeah. That everybody can contribute. And as, as the company gets older and bigger and more mature and more established, back then we didn't know what direction we would take yes. next year. Um, now, I'm sure after a few years uh, later, VUGA is now turning 15 in January, so um, wow. I think you need to have a little bit more structure.
1: Yeah.
0: When, when yeah. you've you found your role and you've found your place and you found your focus, then you probably need a bit more structure.
1: Hmm. And we'll get to that as well Like um, after the acquisition of Playtica as we go through the yeah. journey. Like, uh, it's like, uh, like a bit like a kid going to teenage age and maturing, <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind yeah. of the same. And uh, then
0: marrying Playtica. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, <yeah. laughs> very young, yeah, very young, still like uh, also like uh, maturing. Um, so fast forward after like you had uh, as well like Diamond Dash, I also worked on that game, still a great IP and I had, I had a lot of fun with the team and the Panda character uh, <laughs> yeah. from Diamond Dash. And, um, We have a Facebook Games. I came at a time as well where I had experience from Gameloft uh, with mobile uh, development, and I wanted to hear from you when the transition uh, became clear that you had to also be present on mobile because it implies several things which is also uh, different skills because it's not the same uh, Mm -hmm. platform like PHP, web development, uh, native painful transition, but also team structure, ways of working. I remember when I joined Diamond Dash, there were two teams. One, you know, like uh, Facebook, yes. like PHP, and one as well mobile. So how was for you that time of transition? And when it was became deliberate, like we are going as a mobile company?
0: Yeah, so uh, we, we started as a social games mm-hmm. company on Facebook. And um, I mean, the App Store launched in 2008. Mm-hmm. And uh, by even by 2009, Nobody in their mind would consider really that it's a good idea to start a mobile games company. <laughs> so I remember in the summer of 2009, we were pitching at a venture capital studio, and so a venture capital firm, and we were presenting our plans and what we wanted to do on Facebook. And one of the partners asked us, Hey, do you have any plans to, to go to mobile? Right? At September of 2009, Ooh. over one year after the launch of the App Store. I said, "Well, no. Actually, focus is really important to us. We want to stay on focus. We want to stay on Facebook." And he said, "Oh God! Thanks God! <laughs> Thanks God you stay on Facebook because there's absolutely no money to be made on mobile games."
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> September 2009. Um,
0: and then one and a half years later, it was early 2011. I had this impression. Well, actually, mobile games is growing quite quickly, and Apple had made a huge change at the end of or during 2010 where you could have a free app, but still have inner purchases. Mm. Before that, that was not allowed. You yes, you yes, could right. only do inner purchases in a pay, when you already paid initially <laughs> for the game. Um, and that created quite a bit of growth in 2010 on mobile games. And I thought, okay, we, we need to do something there. Um, we have a great business on Facebook, but ah, there's a trend here on mobile, and we didn't know what to do. And Facebook back then had a huge project where they said, okay, these apps on phones, that's kind of intermediate period, Mm -hmm. like it was on PCs in the 80s and the 90s, but then starting the 2000s, um, programs and apps on your computer mostly disappeared, everything moved to the browser. And um, I mean, you don't have a Gmail app, you go to gmail.com, the same for Google Mm -hmm. Docs, Google Sheets, everything else. So the vision from Facebook was, hey, everything will move to HTML5 and everything will move to the browser but the other big thing obviously was the app store so um, I think around the time I don't know how many people we were maybe 150 200 150 my guess I don't know exactly anymore we said okay we don't know what route it will be but we will do both so we put a small team I think it was around five people on an html 5 game and we put around five people on a native Mm -hmm. iOS game and the HTML5 game was a game called Magic Island Mm -hmm. and um, the uh, iOS game we we had just launched uh, Diamond Dash in March of 2011 and shortly thereafter we said okay let's do a mobile version and HTML5 it's probably because everything is so fast it's so action-packed you only have 60 seconds and people do hundreds of taps in those 60 seconds probably you need native so uh, we had one five people team working on this native diamond dash and one working on this uh, maybe summer of 2011. Yeah, summer of 2011. And uh, we had already started the HTML5 game maybe in spring Mm -hmm. 2011. And then around September, October, the HTML5 game launched and it became clear within about two months that it's a flop. Mm. And the main reason was people didn't find their way back to it. So uh, Ah. the initial friction to start the game was lower, right? It was much um, cheaper and much easier to get people to start the Mm -hmm. game because you didn't have to install anything. You were not redirected to the App Store. And the actual user experience of playing the game was also actually fine, I would say. And retention first session usage uh, numbers were pretty good. But then nobody came back
2: Mm. because
0: they left their browser Yes. they didn 't remember the url they didn 't remember <laughs> where to go back to. Yeah. Nobody came back because you you didn 't have the icon on the home screen yes. and um, so it was less about technology and more about user experience yeah. and It became relatively clear around November mm, this is probably not working. We would yeah. need a fundamental change in in
2: yeah.
0: how to get people back to this and In December of two thousand and eleven, we launched Diamond Dash and we had a very strong Facebook integration. Um, So we had the the desktop game, or sorry, the Facebook.com game, which I think was getting to tens of millions of users at that Mm -hmm. point. Not, not, yeah. And then we launched mobile, and it was viral growth, and both Mm -hmm. fed each other. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but in early two thousand and twelve, spring two thousand and twelve maybe 5 million daily active users on Diamond Dash, Uh, maybe it was more. Mm. Um, As a company in total, we had over 10 million daily active users. Yeah,
2: that's
0: huge. uh, It's it's, uh, much less revenue than today. So revenue per user was very, very low, but over 10 million daily active users. And I think in terms of daily and monthly active users, we were in the top three Mm -hmm. um, back then worldwide. Yeah so huge viral growth but we hadn't understood yet how to monetize but mm. we had understood huge viral growth but but we I mean on the topic of mobile what had worked really really well we were not distracting this 150 people organization yeah. they continued to work on their Facebook games and they brought in revenues so to pay the, mm-hmm. the the bills for the 150 employees and we had this one five people team here with HTML5 that failed not because of the team because of the environment wasn't ready and this other five people team making this native iOS app uh, Mm -hmm. that was a huge success and as a result of that in early 2012 I decided okay we need to do more so we need to do an Android version of of, um, iOS and we need to kick off a few more new games and we started working on Bubble Island for mobile we started working on monster world for mobile Mm -hmm. so the initial goal was to bring our Facebook games to mobile and then, by the middle of 2012, um, I made an announcement to the company of Hey, we're a mobile games company now. Shortly after that, basically, decision and announcement, the work, uh, Florian Steinoff started working on Jelly Splash,
1: um, which then launched one
0: year later in 2013. So, yeah, that was the idea. and. Because of this experiment, five people here, five people there, we were six months ahead of our Facebook competitors who yeah. uh, were later to yeah. make similar steps. But this six months head start was the reason why we were really successful in 2013 and 2014. And after that we went into crisis, but, but yeah. uh, that was for different reasons.
1: Yeah, and uh, I remember uh, like like now I also try to put in my own timeline where I joined the Time 20 Year Fortuna, when I took over Diamond Dash, actually the mobile revenue were growing, well at least growing uh, better than the ones you know. that were declining yeah. on Facebook. So there was already the transition of yes. platform yeah. when, when I, I took over the game. So I, I could, uh, but it wasn't clear at the time where like both are like very valid. And I remember it wasn't that obvious that mobile would be the main thing and Facebook really would die. Uh, but it was a good call, like uh, something I, I take away as well. Like it was uh, less than 5% of the stuff i would even say we uh, were dedicating was R&D initiative very early like small cost quickly get some answers and like how do we start yeah. the initiative yeah and uh,
0: we did something later uh, very similarly when when apple watch launched we had a mm, five people team With a five people team doing uh, smartwatch games And that in the end didn't work out, right? I mean, I would say even today there's no successful game for Apple Watch. But we had five people working on this for one and a half years. And the goal again was small investment, small risk. And if it takes off, we we are early. Because in the early days of a platform or in the early days of a trend, um, time is more important than Mm -hmm. the number of people you have on it. Because it's new anyway and you cannot work on it um, with a lot of people anyway. So, um, let's say virtual reality or augmented reality, Apple Vision Pro that is launching in 2024. If I was a company now and, and it's even remotely kind of, I think there, there would be a fit. I would have a five people team yeah. working on this for the next two years to see if it takes off mm. or not.
1: To be ready in case you need to do a transition. Yeah, it so,
0: so when, it, when the platform takes mm-hmm. off, you are ready and you have a six to twelve months head start yes, compared yeah. to people who only start working on this now. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can do that if you have a few dozen people, then you mm. can afford the five, yeah, right? Yes, yes, yes. If you are a ten-people startup, you shouldn't dedicate yeah. half yeah. of your staff. Um, but maybe you can have one or two people on the experiment, right? I, I saw your podcast with mm. Michael Martinez yeah, yeah, from yeah, FunCraft yeah. who said, well, basically one of our engineers created this what is yeah, the word, Yahtzee yeah. game, right, so so they are, do- yeah. Yeah, they are doing experiments uh, with, with very yeah. f- little resources.
1: Um, let's jump now to another phase of a company I've been part of as well, um, although I couldn't follow it until the end, was, uh, I remember when I joined also at the time, it was very exciting, so I was also uh, later working on Jelly Splash, great first mobile launch. so. For me, my vision of Uga was really a casual puzzle company, and yes, that was. Yes, um,
2: yes, yes. And yes, then yes. we
1: uh, started to do different type of games, experimenting racing games. There was Mist Core Studio, Black yeah. and Bone with uh, Warlords. What was the thinking at that phase where we were exploring several genres, and uh, maybe the key learnings and yeah. how long that phase? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. The main issue was there was little thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> As I, as I just said, uh, kind of these these small experiments, having five people here, five people mm-hmm. there, had worked really, really well, and um, it was the end of two thousand thirteen. So basically, exactly when you joined, mm. and we were basically a little bit drunk by success. <laughs> <laughs> we had launched Pearl's Peril, a hidden object game on Facebook, doing really well. Monster World was still strong. Diamond Dash was still strong, and. Um, Jelly Splash had launched on mobile and was our biggest hit, I think, in terms of revenue ever. We felt everything we touched turned into huge success. So we had this arrogance that everything we would do would turn into a hit. Um, And there was this big desire from many people inside the company okay, we want to do real games, right? For the PC, for console, mid core, -core, hardcore, games for gamers. So we went into this direction of okay, Basically, every game team, we start lots of new game teams, and every game team can decide on their own what route they want to take. And what happened was that within a year, just maybe 20%, 30% of the company was working on our live games, on our existing games.
2: 70-80%
0: Seventy to eighty percent of the company was working on new games, and the vast majority of these new games was outside of our comfort zone outside of casual um, and We were doing like you said a turn based strategy real time strategy third person <laughs> shooter racing sports <laughs> everything <Yeah>. right <laughs> role playing everything <laughs> at one point we had eighteen one eight new games in development Ooh. in terms of prototypes and and games in production and we were growing to 250, I think 300, 320 people. And um, I mean, to cut a long story short, none of this worked.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it, I didn't put constraints. I gave all of this freedom to the teams, and I should have put constraints. Mm-hmm. I should have said, OK, maybe half of the company works on new games, half of the company works on our life and mm-hmm. existing games. And in terms of our new game development, um, we, we maybe put a third into new experimental genres. Mm-hmm. That would have been right. And we should have carefully chosen, okay, what would be the right genres. Or we could have just gone for one genre. Yeah. And then when it didn't work, maybe do a, a second experiment. Because what we did was, people were working on a role-playing game. Okay, that didn't work. Let's do a racing game next. <laughs> Let's yeah. do a shooter after that.
1: Yes, uh, carrying on the learnings.
0: Correct, the yeah. Projects. yeah. We didn't carry on learnings. and So that was clearly my mistake because I didn't make a conscious decision. I, mm. I even gave, I think, an announcement that we are still mostly casual. Mm. What kind of strategy is that, right? <laughs> we're mostly casual, but we're open to other genres yeah. without any constraints. And yeah. um, what happened was, we made this decision at the end of 2013 and 2014, commercially, revenue-wise, we still saw big growth, because a strategic decision, or in my case, a lack of a decision, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it takes time until that manifests in, in in the results. And because of our casual games, Jelly Splash, Pals, Peril, especially, uh, 2014 commercially was still a really big success. And then 2015, um, we were drunk by money. We had a bank account of, I think, 27 or 28 million euros sitting on our bank account. We had conversations in the boardroom of, oh, we have all of this money. Where do we put it? Where do hmm. we spend it? Right? We, we need to put it out. We need to invest hmm. it. And we did crazy decisions on approving even more new game development and crazy marketing budgets hmm. on, on Agent Alice, yeah, uh, hidden, hidden object game. I think we sent, we spent. The game was clearly not ready for launch, mm. but we thought we needed to put it out, and we spent I think seven million euros on marketing in two weeks, with with a game mm-hmm. that didn't have a proper soft launch before. We were mm. really drunk, and then in 2015, that led we had these, we had declining revenue, we had crazy spending, and uh, we were making losses. So we went from a point where I think maybe 2014 we were making. 500 to 800,000 euros in profit per month per mm. month <laughs> to 500,000 of euros of losses per month.
1: Oh, it's scary.
0: And these losses grew, yeah. and the losses were increasing, and our bank account that was at 1.27 had gone to 20, 15, 14, 13, yeah. every, every month it was going down. Um, and only by the end of 2015, I realized, so two years after my lack of decision to focus, to, to put any constraints, I realized, okay, we're we're heading in the wrong direction. And 70% of the company is working on things that are yeah. not right. We should put more resources on our life games. We should uh, focus our development on casual and all of these mm-hmm. other genres are not working. And it took us basically from that point, from my realization, eight months Mm. to to change back course Um, so i made quite a bit of announcements already and decisions at the end of 2015 in terms of cutting projects but a number of projects still continued like warlords for example um, because it was in soft launch already it was promising it was a turn-based hexagon turn-based strategy game we thought oh well maybe that could work right so we we try to um, separate that into a separate s- sub studio, um, so that um, the culture could be a little bit different, and they would mm. have breathing breathing room, um, and we cut a number of other projects. Some still continued and. Then by August 2016, Warlords had not been the success that we thought it was, so we, we, had, we had made the decision to shut down Warlords. And we were still losing, I don't know exactly, but over 500,000 euros per month, mm. maybe close to a million euros per month, I don't know exactly yeah. the numbers anymore. And I made the decision, okay, we, we, we have to lay off people, right, we're yes. too big. So we, we we laid off 42 employees, plus released freelancers, plus some people left voluntarily because whenever you do layoffs, it it puts a huge downer on yes. on morale. Uh, so people left voluntarily, and a few months later, we we had laid off 42, but I think the company had reduced kind of staff by about 80. When you move from this phase of hype to kind mm-hmm. of two years of downward trend and then layoffs probably half of the half of the people you lose are your people you you actually lay off and the other half is freelancers you stop working with yes. because their daily contract is too expensive and people mm. leaving voluntarily and we had made the decision to uh, focus back on casual already by the end of 2015 and then the layoffs in August 2016 but Then in 2017, there was still no success. We were still losing hundreds of thousands of euros per Mm. month. And our revenue was at least stable, so not shrinking anymore, but not growing, right? And um, then in 2017, basically, our management team fell apart. We had gone through three years of crisis, Mm. right? Because all of these decisions we made, we focused back on casual in 2016. It was a a year had passed we didn't see the results yet mm. which in hindsight i know it's normal because mm-hmm. if you change focus so much it takes a year or yeah. longer until you see it actually in your results but we had management meetings where i would summarize the conversations at the beginning of the meeting was hey we're all sitting in the same boat right you're maybe focused on mm-hmm. marketing you're focused on finance you're focused on technology i'm focused mm-hmm. on product but then 10 minutes later, uh, and we're all sitting in the same boat, right? Mm. You're focused on different things, but we're all sitting in the same boat. And 10 minutes later, the conversation was, yeah, we're all sitting in the same boat, but your side of the boat is sinking.
2: Oh. <laughs> right? Uh,
0: okay. It's because of our product, it's because yeah. of our marketing, yeah, yeah. it's because of our whatever. And um, mm. yeah, we had run out of yeah. bond and stamina. So at the end of 2017, Uh, Our management team had broken up. Um, I felt alone. There was a phase where we were still losing money. Uh, There was a phase where in in the next 12 weeks I lost 12 kilograms of weight because (laughs) I mostly stopped (laughs) eating. And um, it turned out that we were able to turn it around then. So our decision to focus back on casual, was finally showing up in the numbers. Mm. June's Journey as a new game had launched that became a huge success at the end of 2017. Um, I formed a new leadership team, mostly people who had worked for, for VUGA for many years who were promoted. One external hire on the CFO side, but everybody else internally promoted in all roles. And 2018 became our biggest growth ever and our most successful year. In terms of revenue growth Mm. ever. And then at the end of 2018, we sold to Platica. So basically, kind of, if you summarize Vuga, five years of crazy growth at the beginning, then three years of crisis, and then one year, one and a half years of of rise Mm -hmm. and exit to Platica.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a ride, and um, the way you share it is very humble. So I'm very also inspired and touched by like the, the up and downs. And uh, here you really uh, took the time to explain as well what led to this. And I I can empathize where it's very uncomfortable to see you losing a million every month, and at some point it's just like going bankrupt if you don't do something.
0: Yeah, it, we were clearly on the path to bankruptcy. Yeah, we were yeah. probably still a year away from it. Yeah. Uh, in two thousand and sixteen, um, and so it's
1: still a year uh, to, to react. <laughs> but
0: but, but uh, if you don't move, if you don't do anything, and then with the layoffs, we didn't become profitable again. We just reduced our losses, so yeah. we turned from bankrupt in one year to bankrupt in two years.
1: Yes, yeah, So saving time.
0: <laughs> uh, just getting a little bit of time, but after then, nothing. Ha- the, the turnaround didn't happen. Mm. That is also one of the biggest learnings how important strategy is and strategic yeah. direction and if you if you make a strategic turn to a different direction, how long it takes until that yeah. manifests in it's it's I very 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 much underestimated the importance yeah. of strategy. I thought from my corporate background um, I thought strategy was useless high-paid people sitting (laughs) somewhere in an office making presentations about strategy that have no connection to the actual Mm day-to-day operation of the company. But I realized that strategy is really, it's about what you are doing and what you're not doing, what you're focusing on, what is your differentiator compared to others. And um, choosing that is extremely important because um, employees, can only, when do employees produce healthy, good output? You need three things. <laughs> they, you need to have good people. They uh, need to work in an environment where their work, where they can work collaboratively mm-hmm. and well with others. And they need to run in the right direction. Yeah. And if just one of these three things is not there, you're not producing good output. Yeah. And you really need all three. You need yeah. the high-quality employees. You need the right environment so that mm-hmm. they don't fight against each other in a political way or mm-hmm. that it's unhealthy or, or toxic. And they need to run in the, yeah. la, uh, the right direction. And the last one, it took me a very long time to realize how important that is. The first two are, were obvious to me, but the last one... And I think things like, hey, let's experiment on mobile HTML 5 Let's experiment on iOS let's experiment on Apple Watch kind of putting small kind of touches out to f- figure out what the mm-hmm. next big trend may be is a good idea um, and if you have a small company if you have a startup you need to bet if you have just 10 yeah. people you need to bet your company in yeah. one direction and if it doesn't yeah, work it's, out it's you your, yeah it's your it's your
1: bullet your yeah. company yeah yeah
0: yeah, yes. yeah it's your bet
1: and let's get at last on uh, the acquisition with uh, from Platica, yeah. and I, I never had the chance to, also to ask, but uh, back now so to the early days when you founded Buga, where did you have in mind like the strategy of exit for the company and uh, how Platica uh, was a match at the time or for where the company was headed?
0: Yeah, so. Uh, it was very clear to me already when founding Vuga that at one point we need to have an exit because we were two years after Zynga Playfish played mm-hmm. them and we realized the only way we have a chance to catch up is with investment. Uh, organically just from our bootstrapping we have no chance to compete yeah. with these big guys and um, therefore we knew we needed funding and quite a lot of it early on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, half a year after, well, eight months after founding VUGA, we got this five million euro investment. And and we really worked towards that. Brain Buddies was a a, a game to go viral, to attract investors, to then get this funding to finance the next two to three years. And um, when you get venture capital funding, there's an explicit contract you sign, and there's an implicit contract (laughs) you make with the investor. Mm -hmm. Because venture capital investors they are there for a maximum of ten years, usually. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's usually this five, early stage venture capital investment is usually for a five to ten year mm-hmm. horizon. There may be exceptions, but, but, but that's typically the horizon. And they have a lot of rights from the contract technically, but it's much more about this implicit contract. You should be aware within the next five to ten years, this investor I just got on board, they have the goal to sell their stake in the company, let's say they put in five million euros and they get 20% of the company, yeah. they want to sell these, uh, these shares they have for tenfold or more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and uh, the way to do that is typically: is you go public in the form of an IPO, or you sell to another yeah. company, or you go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the three most likely yeah. outcomes. There are some other scenarios where this early-stage investor sells all of their shares to a late-stage investor. But when you take venture capital funding, you should be aware that these three are the most likely outcomes. And I didn't know back in the day if I want to do this for the next 20 or 30 years or or not. Mm -hmm. But I knew that the only way to have a chance to be successful is with venture capital investment. It came with this exit premise. we, we, we dabbled with the idea of IPO, but we thought we were too small. Mm-hmm. I think at the point of exit, VUGA was maybe doing 80 million mm-hmm. euros per year. Now if you read the Playticker mm-hmm. um, public uh, stock reports and you read between the lines, you can read between the lines that VUGA probably is now doing 200 million a year and extremely profitable. So it became much, much more profitable after I left. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, we, we thought, okay, that's too small, less than 100 million a year, too small for IPO. And we were getting to the end of this 10-year period. And what I had learned over those 10 years, that VUGA had a lot of cycles, success, but also downs yeah. and ups. Also the market had a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of hype before, before the Zynga IPO. Mm. After the Zynga IPO, it was impossible to sell your game company for the yeah. next two years. and. One wisdom I got from John Vici, the PopCap founder, is your company goes in these cycles, and the market goes in these cycles, and you can only sell when both are at mm-hmm. a peak or at a, at a positive at point. And if you miss and you this window, maybe a few months, or maybe three years, you don't know. Mm. If you miss the window, the next window may be five years away. Yeah. So we were at the end of 2018, and VUGA was 10 years old, I knew my venture capital investors would want an exit at at some point. The market was consolidating very quickly and back then we thought maybe we are too small alone. In hindsight we would have been big enough alone Mm -hmm. but back then we thought "Mm, we're probably too small to survive in this Mm -hmm. changing consolidating market alone. I was really tired after 10 years, se- seven years before that as a startup and, yeah. and 10 years thereafter. I was really tired and, and I knew if I sell, I probably need to stay for another two to three years. So then it's 20 years of high intense startup. If I don't sell now, maybe it's another 10 years. Am I? Is it even good for the company to, yeah. to, to stay on for me as a tired <laughs> founder for another 10 years? Um, and also, employees had stock options, and um, about 15% of VUGA was owned by employees, yeah. one-five. And um, they also want their mm-hmm. their money at some point. So all of these reasons contributed to this idea of, okay, we have a window now where a sale is possible. We don't know how long that window lasts. In hindsight, it would have lasted three yeah. more years, but we didn't know. Um, and okay, we sell. And then we started a process with a banker. We talked to lots of companies, dozens. We talked to dozens of companies. So it was
1: proactive from you. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, we
0: made a decision in March of two thousand and eight, eighteen, yeah. to sell before Christmas two thousand eighteen.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, as you uh, went starting the conversation with multiple um, possible buyers. What was important for you if there were things like, I don't know how much, of course, when knowing you, I know that you do care about the sustainability of your company after you. And what were the the important things that you looked at that would guarantee that?
0: Yeah, it's not easy to find that out beforehand. Mm. Um, My goal was to to get to a maximum level of independence, as independent as possible, Mm -hmm. um, so that the Vuga culture could be preserved as much as possible and that ea for example had a history of assimilating studios especially in mobile and free to play mm-hmm. and they would vanish within yeah. two or three years because yeah. the, the corporate decoration was too strong and it yes. killed the young studio so there were certain companies we actually didn't want to sell to because they had a bad history and some companies had a good history so i also talked to, to companies they had acquired mm-hmm. um, and I, in the end, it's the people who make the decisions, right? In the in the case of Playtica, it was Robert, Robert Antecol, the founder of Playtica. And then you need to ask yourself, okay, this is the person making the decision and deciding on the fate of your company post-acquisition. How long will that person be there? Mm-hmm. If it's a manager working for a corporate, maybe they're fired next month, yeah, right? Yeah. Or exactly, they, they yeah. make their next career move. Um, and so if you sell to a big corporate, you need to basically talk to multiple people to get a feeling for what does this corporate want to do with my startup and in the pace of Playticket was Robert as the founder who I thought was unlikely to leave. And then obviously you don't have endless choice, right? You typically don't have ten
2: yes, of options
0: you could select. In our case it was three. And I basically came to this point of, okay, do I really, do I really want to sell, right? Because we had gone through this process now mm-hmm. for six months with a banker and with advisors and with all of this. Do I really want to sell? Yes or no? And if yes, which of these three offers do I want to take? Mm-hmm. And um, in the end, I thought Playtika was a good fit mm-hmm. because we would benefit from their experience in life operations mm-hmm. yes. and um, their mindset, how to scale games to a bigger scale, to, to a bigger level. which. I think actually was true because we were thinking too small back then. We were thinking of how a team has to be small yeah, and nimble, nimble. Yeah. and they had these people, 300 people working on one game, and um, they were right that a game, a team like June's Journey, should be bigger. That a hundred yeah. people should work on a game like June's Journey, um, and they had live ops experience that we benefited from, and they, I had the belief they would mostly leave us alone. So. Um, yeah, obviously, every every I'm not there anymore. I stayed mm-hmm. on for one and a half, two more years. Um, I felt during the time when I was there, obviously, there were things I was unhappy with, mm-hmm. but overall, I think Playticker was really the, the right right choice for VUGA. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously, there are always changes and some things you wish were, yeah. were different, but I think Playticker is a good acquirer or was a good acquirer for VUGA. Yeah,
1: and uh, like you said, in the end if we look at like Purely objectively on the numbers, the growth of the company, at least in terms of revenue, uh, yeah. before and after acquisition. Puget is more
0: of, successful it has ever been. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's uh, something that uh, in MA, a successful one at least we can say is like, does it um, grow value for the company yeah. acquired yeah. and also for the acquirer, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. I think from Playtica's perspective, we are one of the best acquisitions. Yeah. Not, maybe not the best, but one mm. of the best acquisitions they have made in the last.
1: Yeah, In the history. and uh, like knowing the games that were super successful, um, like June's Jr. at the time, uh, benefiting from the whole platform of like growth that Playtica has, I think this uh, like at least on the product level, a yeah. really good match, like yeah. ramping up basically yeah. uh, the game.
0: I think some people at Playtica had this idea that that their technology would make like their technology mm-hmm. platform, their software would make a big difference. I have no idea how it is today because mm-hmm. I'm sure it has developed further. But integrating technology is always hard. Yeah, the biggest yeah. benefit to the growth of Booga was the mindset. Yeah. So um, having this close collaboration with people at Playtica who said, no, 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 you need to put more attention to live ops, mm-hmm. you need to have multiple events per day instead of one event per month. Mm. (laughs) You need to to scale this team. 30 people is not enough. You need to have 100 people. You need Mm. to put out more content. You need to have more life operations. You need to have better analytics. You need to have more features. Um, You have a hit, double down on it. This mindset of this Mm -hmm. constant reinforcement, um, I pushed back against that for at least six to nine months until I, I let go. Um, and that made the big difference. Mm-hmm. It was about that. It was not about some technology software yeah. you plug into our systems.
1: It's a good learning as well, like with a close collaboration and mindset, because it's a people-to-people work, right? Um, yeah. Very hard to do a shift, especially in integration of technology. Especially for a company at a scale of 200-300 people, it's it's really hard. Right? Yeah. All right, uh, it was. Uh, I feel like I've been traveling as well with WUGA <laughs> the past, the present and the future. And uh, I had a few last questions to close our conversation today. And uh, one question of reflection for you, looking back now, thinking back of WUGA. What is your biggest regret as uh, a CEO or founder at WUGA when you think back of WUGA?
0: Well, obviously my lack of decision, lack of constraint at the end of 2013 mm-hmm. to say hey we are really a casual games company and we can start some experiments in other genres. Uh, that's what I should have done mm. instead of lack of decision mm-hmm. um, and that led to three years of crisis and disappointed employees and layoffs and so mm-hmm. many things. So so that is the biggest um, regret because I, I I knew better at the time and I didn't have the the guts to make an unpopular decision yes. because the, the desire from many people in the company was hey we want to do all of these mm, things. Yes. I felt it was wrong but I didn't want to hurt the feelings of yeah. these people by telling them no you will yeah. not do all of these other genres and if you are not happy with that maybe another company is better for you.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I didn't want to make people short-term unhappy yeah. and I made hundreds of people long-term mm. unhappy.
1: Um, what is your biggest pride uh, about VUGA?
0: Um, that there are so many game companies now in Berlin and such an intense network of, of former VUGA employees Indeed. who, who um, apparently are happy and created a number of game companies here in Berlin
1: yeah.
0: from their experience at VUGA.
1: Among uh, you I have to mention them because I, I still love to meet them often. Uh, Tatiana, who is also the lead on Jelly Splash, uh, uh, founded Playpack. Uh, Auntie, of course, uh, Starberry Games. Uh, and uh, Florian, as well, was uh, also doing the merch uh, yeah. the Travel Town. Uh,
0: Bil- Wilhelm Österberg <laughs> who, yes. who did a game quite similar to Warlords, but yeah. now is successful.
1: <laughs> 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 yes, as well. So, uh, yeah, the Wuga alumni. And also, we started the studio at Voodoo as well uh, a few years later with uh, some Wugas. So it, it has continued. The spirit yeah. And there are some doesn't. some
0: game companies who are not public, kind of who are still in, working in secrecy, like yeah. Patrick McGrath and yes, Moonlit yes, Games, yes. and uh, oh, yeah, I know, and those. there there are some others who who I think don't talk publicly yet about yeah. having started or having worked started working.
1: Yeah, and we do know each other, so we are quite well connected, yeah. and yeah. That's, uh, I think that's really yeah. beautiful that uh, that continue after. And my last question. Uh, okay, now you have built a company, you made your dream of entrepreneurship. Yeah. <laughs> you exited the company. What's, uh, what's your focus today after all that ride? Yeah, yeah.
0: so I, I, I left Vuga exactly three years ago and I'm an entrepreneur at heart. And um, I will all my life, I will stay close to entrepreneurship no matter what my role is. I was an entrepreneur in a startup. I was the founder of a startup. At the moment, I'm an investor in startups, so I'm an angel investor. I'm actually not doing game investments <laughs> at the moment because I want a, a different mindset for a start and I've, I've invested into just a handful of companies, five starting next Monday, six. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I work quite closely with most of them, um, really spending in some cases multiple hours per week per company, working closely with them, trying to give them, help them, give them advice. So that's what I do at the moment. And. I don't know yet what the next few decades, hopefully I have a few more decades of life, um, mm-hmm. what the few next few decades will bring but it will be in startups, it will be based in Berlin. I don't know if I will start another company again or some other role in entrepreneurship and startups.
1: All right. I'm sure we'll see uh, you in some way or another in games or you know like in the yes, Berlin network. And that uh, uh, reminds me as well, we should definitely do a WUGA get together <laughs> as well with you uh, after this interview. That would be like, fun. Uh, because I will share in my network. Thanks a lot, Jens, for the time today and uh, sitting in the garden, uh, sharing like, the wisdom of uh, a decade uh, at WUGA. Yeah. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you, Sophie.
1: Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am growing a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. If you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate the show on Spotify or your other favorite podcast platform. It will help other growing leaders to discover the show and benefit from the valuable insights. If you would like to grow rapidly your leadership skills, you can find more insights on raiseandplay.io where you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership and other resources that I offer. Have a great week and remember to take care of yourself. Until the next time,